Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. I am Jay Madison, your host, along with Ron Robbins, my co-host. And uh, good to see you, Ron. How you been, sir? I've been good, Jay. We've had a little hiatus Yes, we have. A little technical difficulty with uh, some of the software. I had to reinstall everything on the computer here to get us back up and running. And I'm not a tech expert so i tried and tried and tried and i finally said okay we just gotta pull the plug yeah undo unwrap take all the roots out of the ground so to speak <laughs> and replant this bugger and see if it works and luckily it did well it did we didn't lose a lot of stuff right? no no everything's everything's still there so i was real happy about that because i was very nervous i was going to have to start from scratch so well a lot has happened jay and since we've been on the air last my god <laughs> well i think it's been probably almost two months i think so cow. So what's been going on in your world? You've been busy out there in the field. Yeah, well, it's been a great summer, great growing season so far. We live this fear of being too dry, uh, but then we get a rain, and crops look excellent all across the North Country. Great, great. Now, uh, just a week ago, approximately a week ago, we had some thunderstorms that did come through with some downbursts, southern part of Jefferson County, and uh, knocked some corn down. Have you seen, is that corn recovered? That corn is standing back up. It did not uh, break it off, and it did not take the roots out of the ground. Uh, it's going to be a bear to harvest. But yeah. uh, as of Sunday, it was, so that was, what, four days, right? Three days. Yeah. Um, it was about 50% erect from. Wow. Holy cow. So it had stood back up. Yeah, I went out, you know, I got the reports as soon as it had happened. I started getting the phone calls, and so I went out. Man, it it did it look, flattened. Yeah, it looked bad, yeah. but like you said, none of the stems were, none of the stalks were snapped, and the roots were solidly in the ground for, yeah. for everything that I saw. So, you know, I, I talked to you, I talked to our uh, regional agronomist, Mike Hunter, and uh, you both were telling me, yeah, it, that probably will recover or this early in the season. It'll probably yeah. recover fairly yeah. well. But like you said, it's probably going to be a bear to harvest. Yes, it definitely will be. And from what talking to some of the seed company representatives, uh, the worst, it was definitely variety specific. How, oh, really? So there was, and the very worst, you know, was a silage specific variety. I understand that, huh. you know, has somewhat of a rubbery stalk to begin with. Okay. But definitely you could tell there was, it was definitely variety specific. Well, you know, I never thought about that, uh, you know, when I was looking at it until you just said that, but yeah, you could see patches, you know, spread across the acreage where there was there was corn that was fine yes. right next to corn that was down. Yes. And I know that downbursts can be fairly microscopic in their impact, but not that microscopic. Right, that, right. You know, to where yeah. it's, you know, here's corn down and right next to it, five feet away is corn standing. Right. 
Yeah, and then fortunately there was no hail with it. Yeah, yeah, that that was a good thing. That was a good thing. So that was a really weird storm that day. That thing was traveling about 50 miles an hour from west yeah. to east very fast. Yeah, came off Lake Ontario yeah. and uh, just did a lot of, lot of temporary damage and then finally uh, decided to stop kicking out the wind. Absolutely. So. Yeah, so we've been, uh, of course, we haven't, had a chance to dive into milk prices. Maybe next week we can do that. They've they've been on the decline, uh, seeing some demand restrictions with the economy. Mm-hmm. So we should probably uh, plan that plan to talk through that whole process here on sure. a, another podcast. But uh, other than that, things are uh, things are rolling along pretty nice and it really is good to we're in the middle of wheat harvest how's that look that's really good one of it's maybe one of the best ones ever we were out to one of your fields just the other day and wow that looked fantastic yeah. what now what type of wheat are you growing so that's soft red winter wheat so planted in September harvested here in July comes up gets about three four inches tall goes dormant for the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we came out of dormancy really nice this spring. The winter was not harsh on the wheat crop whatsoever. We didn't have a lot of severe cold, and when it was cold, we had snow cover to protect it. Pretty early spring, so green up took place pretty early, the end of March, and we were able to get out and get fertilizer on it. And so, yeah, we're yeah. pretty uh, happy. I mean, it just looks spectacular. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, you've said that particular variety of wheat is more for your pastries yeah that's crackers uh cereal pastries any of that go into animal feed or is this all for this is all for human consumption nice so next time i eat my wheaties i can yeah uh, yeah think maybe i'm eating some north harbor dairy uh, so you know if you if you anybody that goes to buffalo you know the old waterfront in buffalo uh there's still some silos there in buffalo Uh uh you know you had all the big name brands had mills in Buffalo, New York up until, you know, the late 80s. Nabisco had a big place in Niagara Falls, General Mills, Pillsbury all had mills in uh, in downtown Buffalo on the waterfront. You know, we were, New York was the breadbasket of, uh, was a major wheat growing area. Yeah. You know, back in the 1800s uh, into the mid-1900s. Yeah, one time. Yeah. yeah. At one time. And, and the Erie Canal was actually built to move that. move that wheat out into the, you know, as they developed the territory. Yeah, so it's it's good to see some wheat growing then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, at least it gives us an opportunity to think that maybe, maybe we'll... Uh, uh, become that breadbasket again. Well, we still are to a degree. Yeah, we are. Right? We know. we grow a lot of stuff here, pretty diverse. Yep, absolutely. Which well, kind of brings us to your topic today. Well, yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about precision agriculture, Ron. I, I was reading an article, uh, it was actually a study that came out from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Uh, just uh, read it on uh, Morning Ag Clips, as a matter of fact, on uh, July 17th. Uh, it's called the environmental benefits of precision agriculture. And we've mm-hmm. talked about precision agriculture in the past, uh, but this really focused in on trying to measure the environmental benefits. And uh, it talked about um, you know how precision ag 
uh, technologies can assist in crop production, fertilizer placement efficiency, herbicide and pesticide use, fossil fuel use, and water use. But before we get into the benefits, we should probably talk about how do you do precision agriculture. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, on your farm, you use a lot of precision ag technology. Yeah, we were... uh we were an early adapter here in the county of precision ag technology. Okay. Um, and we've been into it now since, well, a rock solid 10 years okay. or more. Okay, so it's been a while. Yeah. So it's been a while. Now, so with with that precision ag, I know that you use uh, like auto guidance, auto steer mm-hmm. systems. What's, yeah. what's that? So, you know, all of our equipment is... And that really was the first phase of Precision Ag was auto guidance for tractors, auto steer, basically not overlapping. So if you have an implement that is covering a 30-foot swath, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a tillage equipment or, or whatever it might be, your auto track would allow you pass-to-pass accuracy so you had no overlap. So human driving, you know, you're, you may overlap a foot, you may overlap six inches, you may have a skip, you know, depending on how good of an operator you are, but still pretty hard after right. a 10-hour day to draw a perfectly straight line and only overlap an inch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, auto guidance allows you to set that line and pass-to-pass accuracy, and there's various pass-to-pass accuracies. There's WAS, which is sub-six inches, and then there's RTK, which is sub-inch accuracy. Really? And repeatability. So it allows you to make a pass today Uh and come back a year from now and drive in the exact same track. Really? Sub-inch. So if you were planting corn in the spring, yes, and you have the, what is it called? The RTK. RTK technology, you could go out and set your tractor so that it drives the exact same Correct. path that it drove in the springtime. Yes. That's pretty phenomenal. I mean, to think yeah. about that, that is, it sure beats my my dad's old Alice Chalmers WD yeah. 40, 45, whatever it was, and uh, eyeball and everything and not even coming close. So. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with that, Auto guidance, how is that guided? Is it satellite? That's all satellite. You have a receiver um, on your piece of equipment, and then, you know, you you go off various satellites, and uh, your WAS is, like I said, six inches, you know, four to six inch accuracy. Mm-hmm. But then if you upgrade and you get on a, a higher resolution satellite for RTK, gives you that sub-inch repeatability. What happens on a cloudy day? Still works. Really? Is there any time it doesn't work? Uh, I've had once in a great while lose a signal maybe going under a big power line or something just momentarily, Hmm. but very, very rare that it does not work. That's amazing. That's amazing. As I was reading this article from uh, the Association of uh, Ag Equipment, or yeah, the Association of Equipment Managers, uh, they talked about needing to upgrade um, cell service and, um, oh, what was it? The the cell service, basically, yeah. out there in the field. So you're not operating, though, off of 
anything but satellites for that. Right. You're operating off satellites, but then also if you want all of your information that you're gathering to go to the cloud, then you'd need the, you need the cell service. Uh, so we have modems in the equipment that when we first started out, we'd hook, we'd hook the system into our phone or an iPad, but now we have modems <laughs> that uh, everything's equipped. So then, then you have information transfer and to the cloud, and then you also have information transfer between equipment working in the same field. So that that's actually that's a good segue because the second thing they describe is machine section same. control. Yeah, so you have machine section control, which looks at what you've covered mm-hmm. and recognizes that. So, for instance, a corn planter, as you come into uh, a pl- uh, an area that's already planted, it's going to start shutting rows off individually right down to sub-inch. And so you never have an overlap of seed. You never have one seed placed on top of another. You also are communicating if you're running two corn planters, say, for instance, in the same field. They're both recognizing what the others has done. <laughs> oh, my God. That's nuts. So, that's nuts. That. You know, agriculture has become so, so high tech. I mean, people do not realize the technology that's being used. Yeah, it's hard for old guys like us, Jake, because these young guys, they they grab hold of it and they whiz through those displays like kids do on, you know, their iPhones or whatever. And... uh, I see those displays and I walk the other way. Yeah. It's just like dealing with this this uh, podcast yeah. equipment. I'm like, holy cow. See, and I'm just like, set it up for me and tell me which buttons to yep. push. And, yep, uh, exactly. But actually, you know, it's amazing how they have created user-friendly technology. It's, you know, they recognize how a person's brain thinks. It's a lot like an iPhone, right? I mean, yeah. when they, that's why a little kid can maneuver through an iPhone. Well, they there is a there is a process that makes sense in paging through and setting up mm-hmm. and uh, so then the other big thing that that we adapted early on was uh, grid soil sampling. So we'd basically go into a field, say for instance you had a hundred acre field. So we would go out and a machine would pull a soil sample for every half acre mm-hmm. and be able to georeference where that sample came from pinpoint it and then of course you would generate all these soil test data so then you take that soil test data and let's just use ph for instance as a simple one you have a hundred acre field and you the old practice was okay if you thought you needed lime on your field you went out and applied a ton of lime on all hundred acres right so in this case you're going to be able to recognize the zones in that field that have a low pH. You're going to be able to recognize the zones that have a high pH, don't need anything, or an adequate pH and don't need anything. And then you can actually go in and apply the lime to only those areas that need it, and the machine will actually turn on and shut off. And adjust the application And adjust the application rate. So that's, and that was my next one. And I did not give him this beforehand. So he's getting these questions fly, but so far you're going right down through the list. Yeah. So for instance, you know, you'd have an area in the field that says, hey, this area calls for a one ton per acre of lime. This area calls for 
one and a half tons. This area needs two, and this area needs zero. And the equipment will adjust the rate it, of application. They call that variable rate. Yep, variable rate. Check that. That was third on the list. Yeah. So what's fourth on the list? <laughs> <laughs> so, so then you take that with fertilizer. So yeah. then you can, of course, our harvest equipment then all uh, collects yield data. Okay. So it's measuring what you're harvested okay. on the fly. I don't see that on here. Well, it might be. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that one must come under the machine section. I don't very well. They don't have that on my okay. list. Okay. So they so, missed one. So that's where the rubber really hits the road because then you're saying, okay, I have this field. I now know I can, I can identify my soil type. Down to, you know, sub-acre measurement. Yes. I can identify my soil fertility down to sub-acre measurement. Mm -hmm. And then I can identify the performance of that field over a period of time. So now we have 10 years of yield data. Mm. So we can then say, okay, this area of the field traditionally is low performing. This area of the field is traditionally high performing. A lot of that's tied to soil type. Because once you balance fertility, um, then it comes down to soil type and water retention. Does right. it not hold water? Does it hold too much water? So then you can identify the reason for that field to be yielding that particular area to yield poorly or really good. Mm -hmm. Then you can say, can I fix that? And if so, how do I fix it? Is it drainage, for instance? Um, and if you can't fix it, then you can adjust your seeding rates and your fertility rates to match what you anticipate to be able to harvest off that particular area of the field. Hmm. So there's no sense of fertilizing it for 200 bushel per acre if you know over the last five years it's only average 140. Jeez. So you can adjust the amount of fertilizer you put on there. If, if, if the field's not capable of reaching... 200 bushels per acre or tons, whatever. Yeah. And so you can adjust the amount of fertilizer or whatever else you're putting on so that you meet what the field is capable of, not what you think it's capable Correct. of. Correct. You know for a fact what it's capable of. Huh, that's amazing. And and then, uh, then you're not wasting fertilizer. You're not creating potential leaching issues by putting too much fertilizer out there you right. know you're saying the plant can use this much we're going to feed it this much we're going to harvest this much so it's going to take those nutrients that we applied it's going to put it into the plant we're going to harvest it we're going to carry that product off the field to feed to the cows hmm. and uh and there's no chance of excess nutrients laying out there over the right. winter leaching away yeah. Which brings us to precision irrigation, which we don't worry about that as right. much up here, at least not yet. Uh, but other parts of the country, precision ir irrigation, where they're watering the plants in yes. the field, that's also just as critical because it, it like you said, if you're if if you have water carrying your nutrients off. Correct. Uh, you're number one wasting wasting your product, and number two potentially having an environmental impact. Correct. 
So that's that's the, the next one on the list. So we've covered the list of the types of things that uh, farms are doing. How widely do you see these things being used, at least here in northern New York? So I think it's gaining in popularity. Um, of course, you know, the, the equipment's really sexy, right? You know, it's neat to have all this equipment. Then it's a matter of, am I going to truly utilize it to its fullest? Mm-hmm. And I think some farms struggle with that because like any collection of data, um, it can be overwhelming. I would guess. Um, so you really have to create a balance that that takes the information that you're generating, it brings it down to a level that you feel comfortable with, that you can gain an economic and environmental benefit from using that information and then implementing it and not try to, it's kind of like eating an elephant, right? You're not going to try to do it in one bite. So, you know, like for us, for instance, pH was first on the list Mm -hmm. because if you don't balance pH, you can put all the fertilizer out there in the world it's not going to get taken in by the plant. So so you have to balance the pH for your soil. And your your herbicides, your fertilizer, they're not going to work if your pH is not balanced in the soil. So that was a no-brainer. So take that number one, get that balanced. Then move into things like uh, section control, automatic row shutoffs, those kinds of things that are that are gonna save seed. And ultimately, when you plant a seed on top of another seed, you're decreasing yield. You're actually mm-hmm. creating a weed is what you're doing. Right. So that's another you know chunk you can bite off. Then you can move into you know, uh, things like variable rate fertilizer, variable rate seeding, which basically you're writing a prescription. You're putting that in the computer, in the tractor, and that computer's making the machine you're pulling match what the prescription you just entered is. Well, pretty amazing. So we actually, I mean, we we started planting our corn maize with a corn planter. Uh-huh. By and so you're talking about a maze where you'd see them on, you know, on the internet where corn has this design yes. uh, in it where people can wander around, get lost within the corn. It's yes. a maze. And roads or trails are, are cut. cut through there. Yeah. So how do you do it? So we create a design. Mm-hmm. We overlay it over satellite imagery. Okay. And then we uh, plug that into the tractor and go out with the corn planter. And the rows will make the, de- it'll shut off and turn on and make the design. Jeez. So you're not wasting the fuel. Or the seed or the fertilizer because it's all shutting off. For that. Every time you go out in that field. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and that that's cool because, you know. And we've had some pretty complicated designs. Yes, you have. You And, uh, and I always scratch my head like, okay. Uh, <laughs> but. It, it works. And we were actually, we worked with one of the technology companies. We were one of the first ones to come up with that idea. And they worked with us to help 
do yeah, it. And well, now corn mazes all over the country are done that are way. Are done that way. Instead of planting the whole field in yeah. corn and wasting all of those resources, yeah. now more farms are doing what you do in yeah. actually planting the corn in the design of that maze yes. and then not harvesting, not fertilizing, not you know, doing anything yeah. in those spots where the maze is supposed to be. Yeah. Well, that's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I mean, it is. It really is. So let's let's get back to the study here. Um, I wanted to run some of their results by you and see what you, what you think, Ron. Um, so this study by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers uh, on the environmental benefits of precision agriculture uh, the results that they found, and this is based on um, uh, the use of precision agriculture yeah. as it is today. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there's farms that use it, there's farms that, mm-hmm. don't, that don't. So this is based on that reality mm-hmm. as it exists today. They're saying right now uh, the results by the current use of precision agriculture has resulted in a 4% increase in crop production. I, yep. Would you say that that's accurate, too low, too high? No, I would say that's accurate. Maybe even a little bit low. Have you, do you believe it's had that result on your farm? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I so, mean, we have seen, we've seen on our farm, overall yields uh, have come up on okay. average. Uh, instead of having, Highs and lows, we've leveled them out and we've raised them. Hmm. Well, okay. so we're they're more even across a particular farm or field, and they're higher than they used to be. Hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. You know, if so, we, you're getting more production with same or less resources allocated where they need to be, not where they end up. And as you and I have talked about here on the podcast in the past. You know, we're going to be expected to produce more food on, in reality, less land using less chemicals and everything, less water um, in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, So by using this precision ag technology, it helps achieve that. So the next result is they said there's been a 7% increase in fertilizer placement efficiency. So the placement of the fertilizer right. in the field, 7% increase in the efficiency of yes. that. Yes, yeah. You so agree? definitely a huge benefit there of okay. putting fertilizer where it needs to be with the accuracy of placing it exactly where it needs to be at the right amount. Hmm. And you say that that's an accurate yes. figure? Yes, Very interesting. All right, so let's talk about uh, herbicide and uh, pesticide use. This says a 9% reduction in herbicide and pesticide use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you are balancing your fertility, doing all the things that, you know, are going to make that plant perform to its fullest potential, you are then going to need less herbicides. Plant's going to be healthier. You're going to need, it's less susceptible to disease or insect. Uh, because it's a, it's like you're a healthy person, right? Right. And you get a cut on your arm, you basically ignore it. Ignore it, right? You're an unhealthy person, and uh, you get a cut and you get infection. Yeah. You got big problems. Well, plants the same way. 
Hmm. That's a good comparison. Yep. That's a real good comparison. So so 9% reduction in herbicide and pesticide use, and, and that obvious uh, obviously is a huge benefit to the environment. Yes. I mean, and that's an area where, you know, farmers have kind of been beaten up over the years of, you know, by environmental groups and others over, you know, not just fertilizer use, but chemical use, herbicide, pesticides, and, you know, hey, this is an area where you can prove that we've, we're able to use less. And in the end, that's also saving you money. Oh, absolutely, because they're expensive. Yeah, so you don't want to apply right. an ounce more than what's necessary. Absolutely. Okay. Um, the next thing they say is a 6% reduction in fossil fuel use. Yeah, so no overlap. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, if you're a 30-foot implement and you go across the field, you're at 30-foot 2 inches every single time instead of 30-foot 6 inches or 31 feet, you're going to use less fuel. Mm -hmm. And you're going to, overall, you're going to have better production on the same acres. So it makes, it makes yeah. sense. And, you know, the obvious environmental benefit to that is, you know, every gallon less of mm -hmm. fossil fuel fuel use is better for the environment. Yeah. And, of course, I want to mention, too, back to pesticides and herbicides, no overlap with the sprayer either because yeah. it the sprayer is recognizing what it's already sprayed, and it starts shutting nozzles off on 20-inch spacings. Huh. Just amazing. Just amazing. So, again, reducing the amount of chemicals applied, yeah. improving the cost-effectiveness for the farm, improving the environmental benefits to mm -hmm. the, yeah. the environment. And then in the end, um, going back to that precision irrigation, which we don't have as much of that up here in, uh, in New York, or at least northern New York, 4% reduction in water use, which I yeah. think probably makes sense. Yeah, and we had a little experience with that down in Florida this year. You know, those those uh, linear irrigations were all GPS-guided, and uh, they're monitoring water usage and where we're putting water on. And and uh, so you can do the same kind of thing. You can plug a script in there, and, you know, it's if you've got an area where it's high water retention, you can put less water on compared to an area that's low water retention. Hmm. So, again, the by not using the water, it doesn't become contaminated with anything. Right. It's drawing less groundwater or whatever out mm -hmm. of the ground. Uh, so all a very positive impact on the environment. So a lot of ways that agriculture, by using modern technology, has been able to have a positive impact on the environment. Uh, to reduce our footprint on the environment all through precision agriculture. And the study was talking about, and I'm not going to go through that here, about how as more technology gets used, precision ag technology gets used, those impacts will actually get even better yeah. over time. So, um, And they said just looking at the, uh, the, uh, the impacts of how precision agriculture is used today, that's resulted in about 2 million acres of crop cropland uh, that's been avoided. Mm -hmm. We haven't had to use that cropland. Uh, using our, our current land right. base more, more effectively. 
uh, 30 million fewer pounds of herbicide use, which obviously that's a huge benefit both economically and environmentally. 100 million fewer gallons of fossil fuel use, so that's pretty huge. And then enough water, which this is such a big number anyways, the comparison doesn't even really help you visualize it. <laughs> enough water saved to fill 750,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Wow. So <laughs> I, I can't even imagine that. They might as yeah. well just said. Yeah, the, a lot of water. It's a lot of water. Um, so, yeah. yeah you, so. Know, you know, the frustrating part about all this, Jay, is this is all real. This isn't perceived. You're right. And agriculture gets so much blame oh, yeah. for... And, and now that, you know, we talk about climate change and everything else, and, and agriculture kind of gets put in the crosshairs of that, yet all the things that agriculture has done compared to other industries to improve its efficiency yeah. and improve its environmental footprint, you know, lessen its environmental footprint, be more economically sustainable, and we just don't ever get the kind of credit that I think we're due for yeah, for the great work that's being done across farms and ranches all over this country. It's really, really frustrating. And meanwhile, John Kerry keeps flying yeah. in private jets. Yeah, and he sits there and <laughs> says a couple weeks ago that agriculture is going to need to step up and do its part and sacrifice. And then he got on his private yeah. jet and flew someplace else. And I just wanted to throw something through the TV yeah. because, you know, and this is, you know, unlike some of the facts that some of those people, so-called facts, they put out. What this we've been talking real. about is real. Yeah, because, you, you know, you I've, can see I've it. witnessed it. Yeah. And it's all, it's good for the farm. It's good for our food production. It's good for the environment. And it's yeah. happening today. Yeah. It's not pie in the sky stuff that these people come up with. Now, it does take a lot of planning. Yeah, and it's expensive. Yes, and we spend a lot of time in the winter pouring through data, writing prescriptions, um, getting equipment, you know, tuned in so that it's operating the way it should. And there's some days you <laughs> you say, "My God, just give me an old corn planter with that's driven by a chain and yeah. and uh, you know yep. because this stuff is." It can be complicated, and and uh, so it, it does create a level of stress that you know. But at the same time, you recognize the environmental benefits, and yeah. you know we tried a new technology here just this season with uh, applying side dress nitrogen. So side dress nitrogen is going in the field when the corn is about waist high to shoulder high, okay, and applying nitrogen in between the rows. Now, what does nitrogen do for the corn? That keeps it healthy. Okay. So, makes it put the ear out, finish the kernels, maximize starch uh, production in the kernel, uh, keep it healthy so it keeps it free of disease. Mm -hmm. And uh, without nitrogen, without any of your nutrients, but especially nitrogen late season, that corn will start to fire in the bottom. Okay. It'll basically start to cannibalize itself if it's lacking nitrogen because it's, you know, it's becoming sick. Hmm. Okay. Well, interesting. So, so we did two things this year. We did variable rate nitrogen based on yield history. So we're applying where we thought 
plants would need nitrogen, we put it on. Where we didn't think they needed it, it would shut off. But we also used a system that laid the nitrogen right in next to the root of the plant. Really? So the going down between the row and it's laying it right in next to the stalk. So that it's not blowing anywhere. It's, it's not, not being... evaporating. And then of course a corn plant is one big funnel. If you ever look at it, when it rains or dew, a corn plant's designed to funnel the water that it catches out of the atmosphere right down to the base of the plant, right into the roots. So by putting that nitrogen over next to the stalk, any water it collects runs down the stalk and moves that nitrogen right into the root zone and huh. no volatilization, well, no so evaporation. It's more efficient, effective yeah. use of yeah. nitrogen by the corn plant. Yeah. Less environmental issues, less money wasted, less time wasted. So yeah. all, all important factors. Yeah. Well, that's it, uh, this has been pretty interesting, um, you know, to to have this discussion based on the association of association of equipment manufacturers, uh, their study that they did entitled "The Environmental Benefits of Precision Agriculture," July seventeenth, two thousand twenty-three. Um, you know, I thought I thought the results that they were talking about were pretty interesting, but mm -hmm. I wanted to bounce them off yeah. you to get your reaction to those to see if you felt based on your decade of experience with the precision precision agriculture technology whether it made sense what they were yeah. saying so well sir we have to wrap this up um that has been uh actually we went a little bit long but it's been a well, lot of hey, it's been a long time yeah, it's we, been a while we got a lot of pent up energy yeah we here. got we got some <laughs> talking to do so yeah so anyways folks uh will we will be uh trying to be a little bit more regular we had a little issue with the technology but uh we think we've got that all wrapped up now and uh, hopefully we can uh, bring you some more podcasts. We're going to talk about milk pricing next week. I think week. next week maybe we'll talk about milk prices, some good, some bad, um, right. but it's interesting. It, it, it It's important, whatever. Yeah. Whatever the results are, it's important to talk about. So, All right, folks, well, that's a wrap. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us today, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.